Chapter 18 Susie's Saga King Humphrey lurked about the ship long enough to hear the dramatic news that the real Susie, not the SS Susie, had been found. Then he dodged his way back to the castle, managed to avoid the castle servants, busy clearing up the absolutely frightful mess left by the sailors at the rescue party, raced up to his royal chambers in double-quick time and scrambled into his royal robes again. He didn't bother with the crown. It was never a good fit at the best of times. Better tell Tibbles and the others right away. I'll pretend a messenger has brought me the news. It's only a little fib after all. Bettina, the L&W and Tibbles were still huddled in the dungeon trying to keep their spirits up with games of I Spy, except that there wasn't really very much to spy down there. When they heard the news the king brought, they were so excited they began leaping up and down and shouting and clapping. The L in W actually kissed King Humphrey in her excitement, which he rather liked. In fact, it gave him a bright idea. More of that some other time, perhaps. However, he pulled himself together and spoke to the two ladies. From what I saw, um, I mean, from what I'm told, Madam Susie Dragon is in a very poor state of health. She would be if she's been a prisoner all this time, cried Bettina. So perhaps it might be a very good idea for you ladies to go down to the docks, taking with you whatever necessaries ladies need at times like these, continued the king. I'm coming too, shouted Tibbles his scales stiffening, his eyes glowing with excitement, eager to meet another dragon at last. No! roared King Humphrey, a sound not unlike one of Tibble's own efforts. Young dragon, you will stay here with me until the right moment arrives for you to meet. One step at a time. We must consider the dear soul's feelings. What about my feelings? grumbled Tibbles. But, of course, he had to obey the royal command. The right moment didn't come for quite a while. Bettina and the Ellen W. found poor Susie in a very bad state. She had suffered much ill-treatment on board the ship. She was very grubby, her lovely eyelashes, so important for a female dragon, as I hope to explain later, were clogged and gooey, and the daylight when it came was almost too bright for her to bear. She was thin and weak, her legs stiff, her purple wings flabby and faded to a dull pink colour, and she was very tearful now that her rescue had been achieved. The kindness she was receiving made her weep even more with gratitude and thankfulness. This embarrassed her, and she confessed to Bettina. I fear... I am in no way fit for company yet a while. Truly, I should just love to sleep quietly for a long, long time. Then I'm sure I shall be my old self again. I'm, I'm not really a, a crybaby, you know, she said with the hint of a smile. Now Bettina, having recently visited Tibbles's old cave, suddenly decided what must happen. She told Ginty that Susie must go there to rest and recover. Bettina would go with her and stay for as long as was necessary. With visits now and then from the L in W, bringing food and medicines, it shouldn't take long for Susie to regain her health. Ginty was relieved that his beloved was being so masterful and sensible and brave. The difficulty of getting poor Susie out of the wretched ship onto the quayside, the exhaustion of massaging the creature's poor weak wings till they were strong enough for her to fly once more, all this had knocked the stuffing out of our hero, that's what everyone was now calling him. Though he didn't much like the thought of being parted from Bettina, especially since the day of their wedding was drawing near, he realised how sensible her plan was. So it wasn't long before Susie, with a rather nervous Bettina clinging to her back, staggered along the quayside, gathering speed, enough for her to take off into the air, narrowly missing the lighthouse at the end of the jetty. 
Golly, that was close, gasped Jinty, watching the dragon's flight dipping now and then towards the mountains and her convalescence cave. The captain and crew of the SS, Susie? Do you really care about them, the rotters? Oh, all right then. Well, they rather enjoyed their few days in the Woollian Hospital. The beds were comfy, the food was excellent, the nurses were pretty and cheeky. To tell you the truth, their headaches after the feast weren't that bad and they didn't even realise that they had been locked in all the time. Daft or what, eh? Anyway, waste no sympathy on them, please. They had been awfully cruel to their prisoner dragon. They had enjoyed jabbing her with sticks to make her roar and puff out the hot air to power their vessel. Sometimes they'd put the ship's cat in the hold. She would run up and down the dragon's back, very tickly, and the poor beast had no room to turn round and give it a good swipe. Often they forgot to give Susie any water to drink, and she was fed only on scraps from leftovers or food which had gone bad. Horrible. And worst of all, now you must promise never to mention this to anyone, the ship's doctor, wanting to write an important paper about dragons for a scientific journal, made many an examination of Susie while she was locked away in that terrible dark hold. He measured every bit of her, he peered into her ears, stretched out her wings as best he could in the confined space to see how they worked, tested her blood, shone a little light into her eyes, listened to her heartbeat, all those kinds of things. Well, one day, he began to examine Susie's teeth. Female dragons have smaller teeth than males, but of course the doctor didn't know anything at all about dragons' teeth, male or female. It says a lot for Susie that she was usually very careful not to huff out hot breath whilst the doctor was prodding and pushing her, you remember Tibbles being very careful about this when he first met Jinty. However, that particular morning, as the medical gentleman prized apart Susie's jaws to get at her teeth, her very hungry tummy delivered up a huge burp. It really wasn't her fault that the doctor, taken by surprise, tumbled right into her mouth. Before she knew what had happened, Susie had accidentally swallowed him whole. End of doctor, sad to say. I understand he wasn't very tasty. So you see, that was why there was no one to treat the ship's captain when he fell ill, which was why the SS Susie had to come to Woolly and Aware in the first place. As this action of Susie's was, you will agree, entirely forgivable, we shall not speak of it again. King Humphrey couldn't resist making another inspection of the SS Susie, with his little notebook at the ready, this time in his royal regalia too. The vessel, of course, didn't look half so imposing after the destructive efforts of a, a crusty peer. Anagram, remember? His Majesty warned the captain that he must never again attempt to use dragon power for a steamship. If word ever got back to Woolian that the captain was up to his tricks once more, then the king would inform the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Dragons, who would probably put the villain in prison. There wasn't actually any RSPCD, but the captain didn't know that. It was only another little royal fib. In fact, bellowed the king, I've half a mind to put you in prison myself. See how you like it. The captain made all sorts of promises to be a good boy in future. The king, always ready to forgive and forget, even gave him a few ideas, which he had managed to work out, about other methods of powering a steamship. They made a kind of truce then, wouldn't you agree? As the SS Susie couldn't move now without her power, she had to remain in Woolian Harbour for a while. The fishing boat, accident, was cleared away from the harbour mouth 
and the first vessel which made its way back to the quayside was the very vessel bringing back the prince, princess and the children from their visit to flimsy garments. Once the cargo of people and goodies had been unloaded, this same boat towed the damaged SS Susie out of port and all the way back to its own harbour miles and miles and miles away. And good riddance! Hossie and Delicia were quite disappointed to have missed the great adventure, and Prince Edgar was absolutely livid not to have seen the steamship properly. Fortunately, his grandfather the king had made enough sketches to enable him to build Edgar a model of it. The lad played with it every day in the marvellous moat marina. To crown it all, oops, Princess Adela threw a mega tantrum. I want to see the Lady Dragon. I want to see the Lady Dragon. Why can't I see the Lady Dragon? It isn't fair. I shall scream till I can see her. <laughs> All this with much stamping of feet and pummeling of her exasperated nursemaid. Trouble ahead with this young princess, I suspect. Jinty had a bright idea which eventually calmed the child. I think he should have been given a medal for this. She really was impossible when she lost her temper. He promised her that she could be chief bridesmaid at his wedding to Bettina. Hope to goodness Bettina will agree to this, he thought, as he made his way down to the dungeon. A catch-up chat with his dear friend Tibbles was long overdue. The dragon had shown remarkable patience and forbearance whilst the rescue party had been hurtling about. Jinty described the rescue in detail, not mentioning King Humphrey's jaunt, of course, and he related everything he could remember about the brief time he had spent with Susie before she flew off with Bettina. Tibbles was something of a changed creature these days. More grown-up, perhaps? Having waited so very long to find another dragon, he seemed quite ready to wait just a little while longer to see Susie. And my goodness... It was worth the wait. Chapter 19 A Bit of a Shock Whilst the royal children were being a thorough nuisance one way or another, Prince Horace spent a good deal of time with his father, being told all the details of the rescue party, all, that is, except the bit about the king's escapade in disguise. Father, Assuming that Susie wishes to stay in Woolian, where on earth will she live? We've already run out of space in the dungeons, and she will need somewhere cool, I imagine. Funny you should mention that, my boy, replied King Humphrey. I've been thinking for some time now that it is time I handed over the job to you. This king business is pretty tiring, and I am getting on in years now. No, no, sir, you're still in very fine fettle interrupted his son. The king hesitated for a moment. Ah, fettle. That's a very useful word for crosswords. I'll just scribble that down and pop it in my memory jar. Father, do concentrate, please, urged the prince. About somewhere for Susie. At these words, a change came over the king. Once more, he gained that dignified, masterful air, which we've already spoken about that special look which came over him when he was about to say something of great importance. Dear boy, I have absolutely made up my mind to retire. I have already drawn up plans for a small but comfortable extension to the castle in which I shall live very happily. You will need all the space here for your growing family. Obviously this extension will need a good cellar for its foundations, and such a space, combined with the original dungeons, would provide a very comfortable home for our happy dragon duo, I believe. Prince Horace stared at his father. He was surprised, shocked, and yet a little bit excited. He had never really thought what it would be like to be king, having been far too busy with his food trips here, there and everywhere. However, having his father close at hand, there would be no difficulty in consulting him should a difficulty arise for the new monarch. Also a nice new home for Susie and Tibbles. Why, 
It was all working out splendidly. He simply had to rush off to tell Delicia the news. Delicia, as it happens, had news of her own. Well, my dear, that's very interesting indeed. Jolly sensible of your father, I think. Heavens, I shall be a queen then. How splendid. I shall have to have a suitable new crown made, of course, but I'll, I'll see to that later. Now listen, Hossie dear. This is the ideal time, while the poor dear is getting well, for me to consult with Susie. I wish to make up some gaps in the dragon document. Information about the female of the species, which dear Tibbles naturally could not give me. Furthermore, it is time Bettina was relieved of her nursing duties. After all, she has a wedding to prepare for. I shall therefore take her place, and right away. She could have added that she was more than ready for a break from her children. Prince Horace knew better than to try and argue with her. In no time Delicia was off and away on the faithful Lepo, who had received strict instructions not to eat too much of that grass. Armed with a hefty notebook and with a supply of extra-special ointments and medicines from Wilfred, the Wizard of Woolian, and also carrying from the king some of the abnormals, i.e. bananas, which had been brought back from flimsy garments, off she went, lickety-split. Let me tell you just a few of the many facts which Susie was able to give the delighted princess. 1. Female dragons are smaller than the males and have fewer, less fierce teeth. No, just be patient. I will explain why in a minute. And along their backs there are no sharp spikes, but instead a long row of gentle humps. 2. Covering these humps is a fine coating of velvety soft fur. 3. The female dragon's tail doesn't have an arrowhead point at the end like the male dragons have, but instead comes to a gentle curl. 4. On the upper side of the tail is a row of strange little suction cups. 5. Most spectacular of all, perhaps, are those long eyelashes we've already heard about. Oh, the joys of dragon motherhood! murmured Susie during one of these interviews. We lay eggs, you know, and these we have to lift very carefully onto the suction cups, which you will have observed on my tail. Ah, smiled Delicia, so that's why your teeth are so much less, um, fierce. I did say I would explain. Exactly so, replied Susie, whose strength was improving every single day now. The eggs stay firmly in place there on our tails until they are a little older. Then, with our, as you put it, less fierce teeth, we carefully place the eggs one by one in the hollows between our humps. The soft fur holds them securely in place and keeps them warm until they are ready to hatch. Why, that's a marvellous arrangement. You can move about wherever you want and also be quite sure that your eggs will not fall from their lovely soft nest. Ah, my dear, sighed the gentle Susie, we always have to steel ourselves against the occasional sad loss, but on the whole you are quite right. And when the eggs hatch, asked the princess, absolutely loving all this new information she was receiving, then, my dear, we lift the tiny, adorable new dragons back onto those suction cups, and in this way we can carry them about until they are ready to walk. Such a happy time for us ladies. I do so long to become a mother myself one day. A soft blush rose in Susie's cheek. Scribbling furiously in her notebook, Princess Delicia pretended not to notice the blush. Thank you so much for telling me all this. It is absolutely fascinating. Those spikes on the back of a male dragon are so sharp, they would probably pierce an egg all too easily. But, my dear, those magnificent spikes can produce the most magical music, mused Susie. I beg your pardon? Did you say music, Susie? Yes, indeed. It is a much sought-after skill amongst male dragons. With tuition, they can play the most marvellous tunes on those spikes of which you spoke. 
Using the sharp tip of their tails, they lightly tap the spikes, and oh, the delicious sounds they can produce are hard to imagine. That is quite amazing, marvelled the princess, making a mental note to tell Tibbles of this. Just one more question, if you don't mind. I have been admiring your beautiful eyelashes, how long and curling they are. Do all female dragons have these? Of course they do, my dear, though perhaps not every lady dragon is quite so blessed as I am. Here she fluttered the lashes in question. But why should this be, persisted Delicia. Tibbles has hardly any eyelashes at all. Then how does this, er, uh, Tibbles fan her little ones to keep them cool? For this is the purpose of our lashes. The dear babes must never be allowed to get too hot, as perhaps you know. Oh, the poor dear lady. Tibbles isn't a female dragon, broke in the princess. He's a male, and a very, very special and handsome one he is too. She was so busy writing in her notebook that she didn't notice, until she heard the crash, that Susie had keeled over in a dead faint. Chapter 20. Close Harmony To say that the princess panicked when she saw Susie lying senseless on the floor of the cave is an understatement. Oh, how she regretted at that moment not having studied for her first aid badge when she was in the garments girl guides. Fortunately, at that very moment, she heard the delighted neighing of Lepo, who was cantering up to the cave mouth with the wonderful Ellen W. on his back. This amazing woman at once took command. I did tell you, didn't I, that King Humphrey was becoming very fond of her, and no wonder. She fetched water from the drinking vessel and threw it over the dragon. Then she commanded Delicia to take off her warm cloak and to flap it under Susie's nose to cool her down. After the ladies had flapped and cooled for some minutes, the dragon's superb eyelashes began to flutter. Her splendid golden eyes opened once more. "'Whatever is the matter, Susie?' inquired the princess. "'Are you feeling ill again?' "'No, no, so silly of me,' murmured Susie. "'But I thought I heard you say that Tibbles was a male dragon?' It is so very long since I saw any of my kind, let alone a male, that the surprise of it quite took my breath away. Oh, how I should like to meet uh, Mr. Tibbles. Now that I'm so much stronger, do you think that this could be arranged? The Ellen W. and the Princess exchanged a secret smiling look. Such a meeting was exactly what they had wished for all along, ever since the dramatic rescue party had taken place. "'Why, yes, I'm sure we could manage that,' smiled Delicia. "'I shall return to the castle at once and begin the necessary arrangements.' Hauling Lepo away from his gobbling of the luscious grass, would he never learn? She set off, leaving behind the L in W, the best possible person to prepare Susie for the great day.' There was much general excitement amongst the Woolian Dewarians as soon as word got round of the proposed Dragon Day. It became obvious that there would be no question of the two dragons being allowed to meet privately first of all. Everyone wanted an excuse for a huge party. The schoolchildren wanted to make Welcome Susie and Hurrah for Tibbles banners. The Woolian chefs wanted to cook up the best barbecue ever, Tibbles to help, by supplying suitable flames. The band of the first Woolian warriors began practising several new marches and jolly tunes. The women of Woolian choir was hard at it, preparing yet another harmonisation of the national anthem. Oh, there was no stopping them. Events were just snowballing. Yes, some of that was planned as well. Ginty and Bettina had misgivings about the whole affair, having more respect for the feelings of their two dragon friends. But their reservations were simply buried under an avalanche, sorry, of excited preparations. Rest assured, however, the excellent Ellen W. made a very good job of preparing Susie for the extravaganza. 
Indeed, before long, our young female dragon was looking forward to making her entrance centre stage, as folk of the theatre say. Yes, I agree. We have heard very little about our dear friend Tibbles for some time now. Let me tell you, he was very busy indeed. For a start, he was now looking absolutely stunning. While he was puzzled and forlorn in the cave after hearing the mamma murmuring, he had lost a good deal of weight. However, since then, he'd been active on heating work and swimming sessions and had become very fit indeed. Never had he looked more magnificent. His cornflake corpulence had quite withered away. His spikes were bright and gleaming, more about this in a while, and his wings were in A1 shape, thanks to regular airborne ice-clearing routines round the coast. Delicia, having written up all the new information she had gathered from Susie in the dragon document, made sure to tell Tibbles about the musical spikes that he didn't know he had. Come on, Tibbs, darling, let's hear them, these spikes of yours. Susie says you just tap them with the tip of your tail. Have a go, please. Do, I can hardly wait. She even polished up the fierce-looking arrowhead point on his tail with her very own handkerchief. Feeling just a little bit silly, Tibbles curled his mighty tail up over his back and lightly tapped the first spike he could reach. I wish you could have heard the truly splendid sound which rang round the dungeon. It was as mellow and warm as honey. He tapped another spike, then another, all the way up his spine. Each spike rang out clear and true, like the best peal of church bells you ever heard, only better still. Well, Delicia was so affected by the lovely echoing tones that she found herself weeping with joy and delight. Tibbles was no less moved. Piece of luck here. King Humphrey had recently given Prince Edgar and Princess Adela little sets of chime bars, one of many efforts being made to calm down the little monsters. The children had taken to these instruments in a big way, and with some help from the master of the king's music, were soon able to play many, many melodies. Hossie made sure that the LMs made regular visits to the dungeon every day now, where they helped Tibbles perfect his spike playing. The dragon became better at his music-making, and the LMs became better at behaving themselves. Relief all round. Chapter 21. D-Day Landing As D-Day grew nearer, Dragon Day, get it? It became obvious that the only place with room enough for all those who were determined to attend was the Woolian Winter Wonderland. So that whole area was tidied up and decorated with the schoolchildren's banners, balloons, streamers and flags as well. At last D-Day finally arrived. Everyone trekked out through the mountains to the frozen lakeside, crowding up the sides of the Easy Peasy and the Crash Bang Wallop ski slopes so that they could gain a better view of the whole area. Cheering crowds of young men escorted Tibbles to the far end of the lake, where he settled himself down on a convenient bank of snow to await the longed-for arrival. The plan was that Susie would fly in with the L&W on her back at a pre-arranged time. The crowds, in very jolly mood, enjoyed listening to the band, doing a bit of skating, having a few snowball fights, actually the children won, and munching their way through great quantities of barbecued food. Tibbles was persuaded to demonstrate his new musical skills and entertained the crowd with several favourite Woolian melodies, and he even allowed some of the more daring children to run up and down his back. They clanged out various notes as they knocked against his spikes. It was great fun. King Humphrey, becoming a little bored with the waiting, pulled out his trusty crossword puzzle book. He decided to include his people in the search for answers to various clues, so he shouted out as follows. 
three down, two words. Clue. Oops, matrimonial clangers. I forgot the wife's birthday, yelled someone. Didn't empty the dustbin, roared someone else, and everyone laughed. No, Bettina called out. I think the answer is wedding bells. You could tell what she was thinking about. Excellent, my dear, smiled the king. Now try this one, good people all. We need two words, nine letters in all, for sixteen across. Dear, strike a light. Any suggestions? And he looked up, beaming cheerfully. There were some very silly answers from the crowd, and a few cheeky ones as well. Everyone was far too wound up with excitement and anticipation to be entirely respectful, I'm afraid. But Jinty stepped forward, gave a little bow to King Humphrey, and said, "Your Majesty, the answer to that one is, I think you'll find, love match." He took Bettina's hand in his. And raised it to his lips in a very gallant fashion. The king smiled at them both. Bettina was blushing very prettily. They certainly made a handsome pair. As the magic hour drew near, the crowds grew silent. Tibbles began remembering all the amazing and wonderful things that had happened to him since he and Jinty had first met. He stretched out a scaly limb and hugged Jinty. Who stood close by? Both could sense that something tremendous was about to happen. It did. Pause for necessary background information. You remember that the L M's had now reached the difficult, spelt N A U G H T Y H. Well, they insisted that they too should attend the Dragon Day, so they were bundled up warmly in the royal sleigh, each determined to be the first to spot Susie's arrival. The groom was at the reins of a sleigh, and in harness was our old chum Lepo. It won't surprise you to learn that the children quickly became very restless, and soon they were being downright dreadful. To keep them amused. Their exasperated nursemaid had given them their chime bells and the little striking sticks that went with them. Now the children began to battle with these sticks, hitting out and wriggling around till the sleigh rocked violently from side to side. Stop that at once! Shouted the groom, twisting round to glare at the fighting royals. The pity was that he did this just at the very moment that Prince Edgar made a full lunge, chime bar stick at the ready, and thwacked the groom right in the eye. An accident, of course, but it set things off a real treat. The groom dropped the reins, clapped his hand to his wounded eye, and shouted, "You vicious young ass!" And at that point, Lepo bolted. Let me explain. You have to understand that Lepo thought the groom had said, "Ooh, luscious green grass," not "you vicious young ass." So he naturally headed off uphill, as he had done several times before, never reluctant to visit once more that lovely meadow near the dragon's cave. As the groom had dropped the reins when he was hurt, Lepo felt absolutely free. Hooray and yahoo and tally ho! He was away like lightning. Out bounced the groom, falling into the snow, leaving the L M's shrieking and wailing and hanging on for dear life in the disappearing sleigh. Knowing the lovely meadow was up there somewhere, but having no clear idea how to get there from the winter wonderland, Lepo just kept racing up and up the slopes. The crowd below suddenly realised what had happened and began screaming and shouting, pointing upwards at the runaway sleigh, which was now nearing the top of the terrifyingly steep We Have Lift Off ski slope. Here, the startled horse came to a sudden stop, not knowing which way to go. The royal sleigh toppled over; the royal twins were thrown out. They began tumbling helter skelter down the ski slope. Gaining speed as they fell, 
Now the youngsters were screaming in very real terror. They'd been bundled up warmly against the terrible cold, of course, so they began to roll down the ski slope like snowballs. They bumped against trees and cannoned off the mounds of snow at the sides of the run, then landed back on the track. With frightening rapidity, they were heading down towards the cluster of buildings at the foot of the ski slope, and there was nothing to stop them crashing into this. Disaster seemed inevitable. But wait, what was this? Sailing over the top of the mountain above the We Have Lift Off slope came a wondrous sight. An elegant dragon appeared, flying smoothly and gracefully on small purple wings, long-lashed eyes scanning the scene around her. It was Susie, with the splendid Ellen W. on her back. In an instant, Susie had taken in the sight of the children falling towards a terrible end. At once, she knew what to do. Swooping down, she landed on the ski slope a short distance below them. Quickly, she lay down so that her back with its soft-lined humps was facing towards the tumbling youngsters. In an instant, the Ellen W. clambered off her perch and was ready to receive the little prince and princess as they crashed quite comfortably, actually, into the waiting dragon. Cheers echoed and re-echoed round the winter wonderland as the watching crowds saw Susie carefully lift the children one by one in her gentle mouth and place them securely, each in a little nest between her humps. Then the Ellen W. climbed up again to her place. At the last minute, just as Susie was about to take off to fly down to the waiting crowd, Poor Lepo gave a terrified neigh. He was still marooned at the top of the ski slope. Our brave lady dragon flew back up to him, landed neatly, and instructed the nervous horse to place its four feet in the suction cups on her tail. Being now laden far too heavily to fly, she had no choice but to slide down the we have lift off, despite its steepness. Carefully sheathing her claws so that they would not scratch the ice, and balancing herself and her precious load as delicately as if she'd been doing this sort of thing all her life, Susie swooped downward, coming to a gentle halt right at the feet of the anxious royal parents. It was the perfect entrance for the heroine of the moment. She even fluttered her glorious long eyelashes to revive the Ellen W. who had fainted with relief. Everyone hustled round Susie, patting her and lifting off the L.M.s who were laughing and crying at the same time. Soon a huge crowd completely surrounded her. She could see nothing but smiling, cheering humans to right and to left. No sign of another dragon. Had she been deceived? Was there really a Mr. Tibbles? We've had one something tremendous, but since you can never have enough of a good thing, let us now have another. The crowd suddenly switched its attention back to the royal family, who were now interested only in getting the children safely back to the castle. The children were thrust up onto the back of the now bashful Lepo. He trotted off homeward, a bit embarrassed by his mistake, and looking forward to hiding away for a while in his stable. Some of the castle stable lads set off to search for the wounded groom. He was soon found. Unhurt apart from some spectacular bruises, he had a lot to say about the L.M.s, which I shall not repeat. The crowd decided it had had its money's worth out of D-Day and made its way homeward after the royal party. The good folk of Woolly and Aware had been waiting around for a long time, had enjoyed the music and the food, had seen the famous Susie, but were well-nigh frozen to their bones. So off home they went, through the narrow pass between the mountains, where the road led back to the town. Now for the other something tremendous. Ready? Our dragons were, after all, to have their first meeting in complete privacy. Read on. Suddenly, above the hurly-burly noise of the cheerfully departing crowd, 
came the amazing sound of dragon spike music, playing a meltingly romantic melody. Susie raised her despondent head. Could it really be? She gazed down the length of the frozen lake. She was now utterly alone except for... another dragon. She saw Tibbles, glorious in sight and sound. Her magnificent eyelashes fluttered. Tibbles stopped mid-tune, his pointed tail raised but still. Their eyes met. It was love at first sight. Chapter 22 Cool Down The End Well, no, more of a beginning, really. And before we go any further, there certainly is such a thing as love at first sight, so there. However, I'm quite worn out with telling you everything that had happened up to that point, so it is high time I had a rest. What's that? You demand to know what happened next? Well, I am prepared to offer you what they call a wrap-up session, but that is all. Wrap-up session. King Humphrey. The king really did retire into the newly built extension to the castle. He took up inventing and engineering in a big way. He also married again. Hooray! See below. His new wife encouraged him to put his expertise into devising crosswords instead of solving them. Soon a puzzle began appearing regularly in the Woolian Weekly under the name of Clever Clogs. By the way, you might like to know that with careful practice, His Majesty finally managed the We Have Liftoff and began on an even more taxing slope, see below also. Hossie and Delicia? They were crowned king and queen. Hossie quickly discovered he didn't much like king work and soon returned to his travels abroad, leaving Queen Delicia in charge. She was better at the job anyway, so it was a good thing all round. She continued to keep notes about her dragon friends, as there seemed always to be more to learn. We should all be very grateful to her for the splendid work she did on the dragon document, a really outstanding achievement considering all her other duties. Prince Edgar When he was a little older, Edgar began to accompany his father on the food trips. He really enjoyed getting to know his other grandfather, the Sheik of Flimsy Garments. In fact, before long, he asked to be allowed to live on the island full time. He devoted himself to learning all about growing and harvesting abnormals, as his Woolian grandfather had named them. He became very, very skilled at this. No surprise, he married a Flimsy Garments maiden and lived happily ever after. Princess Adela Adela became a first-rate ski instructor and eventually devised an even more precipitous ski slope at the Winter Wonderland, named the You Must Be Joking. See King Humphrey. This last slope was the one the old king finally managed to ski on the day of his 90th birthday. Pretty good going, eh? The LNW she accepted King Humphrey's proposal of marriage, thereby becoming Dowager Queen, and she moved into the castle extension. Her commanding and queenly demeanour were extremely useful in her new job. I never did find out her real name, sorry. Ginty and Bettina Eventually these two managed to get married. In fact, they married the day after the old king and the LNW. So Princess Adela had two goes at being a bridesmaid, and would you credit it, she behaved perfectly at both occasions. I think. No one ever found out for sure who put the ice cubes in Bettina's satin slippers. Ginty became very important at court, and Bettina became lady-in-waiting to Queen Delicia when she wasn't busy having babies. Lepo. He sired many beautiful colts, 
and made sure that they never ate too much new green grass. Tibbles and Susie Tibbles continued to do castle warming and sea ice clearance for many years. He was also very busy helping the children of Woolian, who had difficulty in reading, since his skills in that respect just got better and better. You'll be relieved to hear that he mastered the technique of never breathing hot breath on humans and was able to teach this trick to Susie. They both became absolutely top favourites with everyone in the land. Tibbles also had great fun touring with the women of William Choir when they went about from town to town giving concerts. At these events he would play several melodies on his spikes, some of his own composition, and some folk songs of the nation. For the grand finale he would accompany the choir and audiences were totally enchanted with the effects produced. All these concerts had to be out of doors, you understand, as there were not many buildings in Woolian large enough to accommodate an audience, a choir and a dragon. But that was perfectly all right. Before each concert, Tibbles would huff away enough snow to make a pleasant open space in which the audience could sit. What a star! He was such a dear fellow, and he could hardly believe his good fortune. All his dreams seemed to have come true. And Susie? She busied herself with good works as soon as she had settled into her new home, but that's for another story. However, when she was a very old dragon, she told Queen Delicia about those first few months after she and Tibbles fell in love. Much of what she told was duly entered into the dragon document, where you may read it for yourselves. Oh, well, all right, if you insist. I will tell you just a little. As the cheering, laughing crowds disappeared back towards the town, the two dragons began a most beautiful and secret routine. Despite their different histories, their sorrows and loneliness, each knew instinctively how to perform the rituals of dragon courtship. You and I need not know more than this, that the tender movements the slow entwining of the huge scaly creatures seemed like a lovely dance upon the ice of the winter wonderland lake. Now and then small clumps of snow would fall from nearby trees, then small flurries would sweep down the slopes from the mountains around. And why? Because as they danced, the dragons were woo-warbling. That is, they were making the sounds which dragons make when they are in love, and which we humans cannot hear, rather like the mamma murmuring. It was the echoes of these most wonderful sounds which caused the snow to fall. As the dance came to an end, the two dragons lay down close to each other and told their life histories, each to the other. There were some tears, some rage at cruelty suffered, some despair at past sorrows, it has to be said. But there were also funny stories, exciting tales, treasured memories, and at last delight and harmony. What we call a happy ending, or, as I think I have said before, rather more a beginning, a new life of love and companionship. The two so enjoyed this wonderful time together that they really wanted it to continue a little longer. So what did they do? They woo-warbled extra loud and long, which caused a huge avalanche to thunder down, filling the narrow valley which led back to the town with mighty piles of snow and ice. It was like locking their front door. No one would try to get through that lot. Now they could just have fun together, which they certainly did, skidding down the we have lift off like great birds, taking occasional short-hop flights around the mountains to look at the land of Woolian, making music, with Tibbles on spikes and Susie on voice. They built monster snowmen and had the odd snowball battle now and then, and on and on. They fed heartily on the juicy green conifer trees, which grew on the steep slopes all around. At night they gazed at the golden moon above the sparkling mountain tops, and they tried to count the shooting stars, which dazzled their way down the blue-black skies. By day, they gazed at each other. And when they were good and ready, 
they just huffed their way out through the snow with which they had blocked the road and made their way back to the town. You can imagine the warm welcome which awaited them. To mark the occasion, the women of Woolian Choir had prepared some extra verses to the national anthem, which they sang at the special ceremony organised to present Susie with a pop for her dramatic rescue of the young royals. Picture the scene. Oh, I'm feeling emotional already. Can anyone lend me a hanky, please? I may cry. A time for some of those deep breaths I've told you about. See, the excited ladies gathered at the moat side of the castle are all dressed in the Woolian national costume. They turn first towards Tibbles, their fervent voices rising through the chilly air in a stirring rendition of the nation's treasured melody. Oh, noble beast, you who serve us well with skill and loving care. In health and joy live on, we pray, in woolly underwear. Then, to both the dragons, who are smiling and trying at the same time not to huff hotly over the choir, the worthy women sing... And now that you have found a wife with whom your life to share, bide here with us, O oh dragons dear, in woolly underwear. The last notes die away, floating skywards. The listening audience is too moved to applaud. It is a moment to remember. And there we will leave them. Now, that is definitely the end. Signed, Drives Cage. Anagram. Remember them? P.S. Sorry. Forgot to mention that although Tibbles and Susie were delighted with the increased accommodation they were given in the extended castle, before very long it proved to be still not big enough. Can you guess why? The absolutely definite end. Signed, Cave Ridges. Another anagram. PPS. That is to say... The end, at least for the moment. Signed, Device Rags. Yet another anag... Oh, you know what. Do you need a clue? Well, who has been writing down this story? Ha <laughs> ha, now you'll be able to work it out, I'm sure. <laughs> 